Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Micah and I am joined today by Jeff Shaw. Jeff, you are the executive director of Frontline Response and the founder of Out of Darkness, an anti-trafficking arm of Frontline Response. That's it. All right. So your mission statement is you guys are on the front lines every day, rescuing individuals and preventing the most vulnerable in society, our children, from falling victim. We're super glad to have you. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe uh, how you got involved in the anti-trafficking movement? Sure. So... You know, something that I didn't know would be part of the story early on is that when I was 13 years old, I actually got really heavily into pornography and experienced over the next 13 years from that, like a lot of sexual brokenness in my life and a lot of, you know, self-hatred, self-destruction and um, really fell away from the relationship I'd had with the Lord as a child. Mm -hmm. And when I was 26, the Holy Spirit just encountered me in a really profound way, uh, just me and him, and just reminded me of the extravagant love of the Father for me and put a fire in my spirit to know him for myself Mm -hmm. and um, to see the trajectory that my life was taking. And so as I came back into relationship with the Lord and intimacy with him, he started to put an itch in my heart. I was a Mm. lawyer at the time. And so he kind of created in me a passion for justice, but it it was kind of uh, playing out in in a worldly career at the time. There was still Mm. purpose in it, eternal purpose in it. But I started to ask the question, God, like what's this thing deep down that I'm searching for? Mm. And he didn't give me the answer right away. And so um, at my church, I tried to start a homeless ministry and no one came to any of the meetings. And so I was like, (laughs) okay, all right, that's not it. And then- I volunteered with an organization called Nightlight mm-hmm. and doing prevention work yeah. in an at-risk community. And um, I loved it. I loved the kids, but mm-hmm. still, I could still tell, okay, not quite there yet. And then in 2011, I read a book called Not For Sale mm-hmm. about modern-day slavery mm-hmm. and different things happening in different countries of the world. And then God said, it's happening here. It's in Atlanta. Wow. And so at that point, I just remember laying on my face and saying, God, I don't know anything about this. But if you tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. And that same night, he walked me out on my balcony. I, I had a view of downtown Atlanta. And he said, those cries, where are you, God? When will you deliver me? When will you rescue me? Are rising from mm-hmm. your city. And I want you to mobilize the people of God to be the answer to those cries. And so the vision wow. right then was a 24-hour hotline for mm-hmm. women and children that were in, in prostitution and trafficking scenarios. Mm-hmm. And it kind of grew from there. That's amazing. Yeah. That's I, I am always so awestruck about the way that the Lord kind of calls people mm. into this. So I think two things from your story struck me, and I haven't even heard this before, so this is amazing. I love this. Um, but one is that you had a history in pornography. You're very clear about that, yeah. right? Very open about it. Um, and how the Lord has designed it to say like, hey, that place of brokenness, that place of I mean, even sin, you know, of like oh, yeah. hey, deep, deep even personal trauma, is actually something I'm going to transform and use for my glory. Um, But not just his glory, like the actual redemption of people, you know? It's amazing. And with that, you know, one of the—it was interesting because even after I came back to the Lord 
that was one of the hardest things mm. to get to that place of deliverance from. And it, it took about two years. Sure. And I, the Lord had already given the vision for what Out of Darkness was going to be, but I was wow. still struggling with pornography. And I had this really profound moment where I could compartmentalize in my own mind mm. the illusion of pornography from the exploitation of women, right. and the Lord integrated those two. And oh, this, wow. it, this is how it happened. I was envisioning a rescue where we pulled up for to get a woman. She gets in the backseat of the car, and I had been looking at her on a screen. Wow. And then all of a sudden, that last wall of deception that it's mm. not it's not really real people, it's just kind of all fake, mm-hmm. came down. Uh-huh. And I saw myself in a gracious way. It wasn't a condemning way. Mm-hmm. I saw myself as a perpetrator wow. of the things that I was being called to help bring freedom to. Mm. And so that mm. integrated my life with my calling and and in that, the Lord brought a freedom wow. and a deliverance. And I think, you know, I've met so many men that get stirred for mm-hmm. anti-trafficking, and mm-hmm. then they go home and look at someone's screen, and they're like, ah, I can't do it. It can't right. be me. Right. Um, and so I feel like the Lord said, hey, I want you to make your story a part of the calling and equipping of men wow. to, to be deliverers. And it's important to understand that. You know, it's a journey. Like mm-hmm. I today still, I have to have accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to make a choice every day mm-hmm. when temptation comes not to give in. Mm-hmm. And so I've been delivered, but it doesn't mean that temptation doesn't still yeah, exist. And absolutely. so understanding like, hey guys, we can, that's something we can walk out with the Lord mm-hmm. and walk our callings out at the same time. That's so powerful. It's such a, an amazing message to the body at large. And then that's really important message right now. So that was the first thing that just struck me. The second thing that you said was that you just kept trying. You tried something. It didn't work out. You tried something else. It didn't really work out. And you knew, hey, I am still going down. It's a, like you said, it's a journey of progressive kind of entering into the calling. And so I, I try to encourage people like, you might not find it on the first try. You know, if you volunteer somewhere or you try something else, that may not be it. But that doesn't mean that you're not called. So Good. yeah, I love that. I think mature I think for us as leaders to maturing in the understanding, like we want everybody to become an anti-trafficking advocate or partner. Right, right. We want every church, every volunteer. Mm-hmm. But as the Lord matures us in leadership mm-hmm. too, we come to understand that, hey, if this isn't the call, go find it. It might be foster care, it might right. be orphanages, it might be wells, it might be missions, but it's all important. It's all That's kingdom right. work and you got to find the right place for you. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it's all, there's so many intersections, right? Of, of vulnerabilities that all contribute to the same kind of global crisis. So um, I don't know if you want to share it from your perspective. I can certainly share it from mine too, but how you got connected to Elijah Rising. We actually go back quite a ways, um, even though we haven't, we've kind of been disconnected for a few years. So it's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. So back in 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. uh, there was a group of people here locally who said, hey, we need a 24-hour crisis line for trafficking and prostitution as well. And so they came out to visit us in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We spent some great time together and then were invited to come to Houston and host a two-day training around the establishment and the running of a hotline. Mm-hmm. So we came and on that Friday night that we were here, we were hosted in someone's home and 
Elijah Rising came mm-hmm. and what would become Rescue Houston was there mm-hmm. and Redeemed Ministries. And so we had this really cool moment where we all kind of shared our stories and we pledged ourselves kind mm-hmm. of in unity mm-hmm. to walk the journey out together. And then we had an incredible training, a great turnout, and and then Rescue Houston was born out of that. But in that time, mm-hmm. I got to meet you guys and see some of your facilities mm-hmm. and drive around with you and learn about a little bit more of what's happening here in Houston. Yeah. And I haven't been back since then. And here awesome. we are. So, here we are. Yeah. And so uh, before we jump into why you're here, um, what if, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? So we, you know, we said your mission statement, but what does that actually mean on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. So it starts with making sure that people who are in those exploitive situations have an option. So we can't just expect that people are going to come to us. We got to go to them and let them know what's available, bring Mm -hmm. hope, whatever that looks like. And so we do street outreaches similar to what you guys do here in Houston. We Mm -hmm. take roses out to women and handwritten Mm -hmm. cards and they all have our 24 hour hotline written in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just build trust, build friendship. Sometimes it takes three years before a woman calls and sometimes it's their first night on the street and they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing out here. But then from that point, if they make a call to our 24-hour hotline, we send a team to pick them up, a guy and a girl together, and then we transport them to a 24-hour emergency safe home. And that safe home is intended to be that urgent need, like Mm -hmm. sleeping at night, being awake Mm -hmm. during the day, eating three meals, getting clothes on your back, seeing a doctor maybe for the first time in 10, 20 years. So it's really stabilizing Mm -hmm. that individual out of their immediate crisis. Mm -hmm. And then as they stabilize, empowering them to make decisions for their future and what they want their next steps to look like. And often that's partnering with long-term programs Mm -hmm. across the country that these women choose. And then we help them get their pay any intake fee, Mm -hmm. help them with the admissions process, that Mm -hmm. they're not doing that from the street or the motel, but they're doing it in a place of safety with a team of allies around them. That's amazing. So essentially you guys are there, you're out on the street, you're in that highways and byways, so to speak, you are there with them in their crisis. And then you also provide like a safe, essentially a safe home, right? And then wrap around care for that. How long does that period typically look for whenever you're, you're caring for them in your house? Yeah, it's typically one to three weeks. And with that, um, some people, the placement's able to happen really fast. Like their God just lines it right up out Mm -hmm. the gate. And then for some we've had, it's been really challenging. Mm -hmm. And our commitment is we're not going to, at three weeks, we don't say, sorry, it didn't work out. Good luck. Yeah. Um, One, one lady took two months, but Mm -hmm. she, because she was committed to the process, Process, mm-hmm. We stayed committed to her and we were, we saw it through, took a little bit longer, but it really, the sweet spot really is two to three weeks. That's amazing. Such a, it's such a gift to the anti-trafficking community to have that. And so, you know, there's a pipeline of care, right? And you know this, but just for our listeners, you know, there's... It, it's very difficult to for someone to come right out of her trafficking situation, uh, like you said, in a hotel or a motel or even on the streets, maybe she's homeless, um, and jump right into a long-term program. There's a lot of hurdles that you have to get into. And then there's a timeline, you know, that... that a delay, if you will, for them to actually get into that home. And so you guys really provide that niche of care mm. in the interim process. So beyond that, would you speak a little bit to kind of what makes um, emergency care like so unique and why is it needed in the landscape? Absolutely. So to your point about everybody needing to know their niche, mm. it, we need long-term programs 
or else there's nowhere to go after the emergency housing. But I think what we're offering to long-term care is a higher likelihood of success when someone comes to them because they've had the chance to detox, they've mm-hmm. had a chance to think about life. Do, are they really committed to the next step? And if not, mm-hmm. they can they can depart from us mm-hmm. uh, and not come go through your whole process to get in. And it also, if you've got a woman who's been with you for a year and then you introduce someone who's walking in right off the street, it can really upset the dynamic of the home. And so the idea is if we can help provide a measure of stabilization Mm -hmm. and that person having the clarity of mind to make a choice to come to you first, Mm -hmm. it's going to help your whole program a lot more. And she's going to feel a lot better about her decision Mm because she wasn't committing to you in that immediate moment of crisis. She's had time to think about it and make that decision. And so the other piece for us is that safety net, low barrier safety net. Mm -hmm. So that's if it's 3 a.m., if it's Christmas Day, uh-huh. if they're high, if they're drunk, if they're pregnant, you know, whatever that scenario looks like, yeah. there's a safe place to come immediately and then let's figure it out. But let's figure it out from a place of safety, not from a payphone, not from mm-hmm. a hospital bed, not from, I mean, we've had women jump out of their pimps' cars. Mm. We've had women jump out of second floor buildings and oh flag a car that's passing down. I mean, all kinds. Of, and then wow. you've got situations where, Someone who was in the lifestyle is back home with mom and dad, mm-hmm. but it's not feasible long term. So right. they need to look. So they're they're in a safer environment, but it's it's that pass through to stabilize and set them up for success in the next season. That's amazing. That is so amazing. So many of the scenarios I've seen mm-hmm. firsthand from what you're describing, and so um, yeah, it's not as simple as just like exit. Oh, now we can place you into a long-term facility. There is so much in between. Like you said, women maybe haven't gone to the doctor in ten years, yeah. you know. And so, how do you detoxing? What is the percentage? Just is super not on my notes. What is the percentage of like women that you see come through who are in that process of detox? Yeah, well, I think the the substance abuse piece, right? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's it's pretty close to ninety percent. Like the the majority have some kind of dual diagnosis mm-hmm. or there's a I mean, we understand and and some of our listeners probably understand too that the substance abuse is addressing the symptoms yes. of trauma, mm-hmm. living through the man after man, the abuse after abuse, yeah. the again, the self-hatred, mm-hmm. the things that you know, we, we often think the physical rescue out of the circumstance is like, right. okay, now you have a path to an easy new mm-hmm. life. But really, yeah. the real bondage is in the way they see themselves, mm-hmm. the things that they need to get free of in their own hearts and minds, the way right. their their sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been crafted for a long, I mean, off, often even before the trafficking with yep. childhood right. sexual abuse, right? Right. So- um, yeah, it's that those presenting symptoms of addiction are usually there. And that's why we all want to use a trauma informed approach so we can understand it's not about just those behaviors. It's about mm-hmm. those root issues that are causing those behaviors as coping mechanisms. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So now we haven't touched on this yet, but you guys are Christ centered kind of Christian based facility. Are you not? Yes, we yeah. are. Yeah. So just that kind of plays into the whole, the way that you, yes, trauma informed also motivated by just the love of Jesus, right? So you want to provide that net of safety. And I love that. 
It's beautiful. Yeah, our so our purpose statement is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ with God making his appeal through us that the world be reconciled to him. Wow. And so at the end of the day, our heart for everyone is that they would experience the love of Jesus for mm-hmm. themselves and respond to that love, but we know not everyone will choose it. Mm-hmm. So our what we tell everybody is we will not discriminate in our mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. You can have a different faith or no faith. Mm-hmm. You're going to get you're going to eat the same meals, yes. get the same clothes, see the same doctors, sleep mm-hmm. in the same beds, be loved with as much passion and care and humility. Um, and our our personal motivating hope is that you find Jesus. And if you don't, it's okay. We'll yeah. still serve you through that process because we're all given that choice. Absolutely. Yeah. How long have you guys been doing this for? So the Out of Darkness program was founded in 2011. So this year is actually our 10th anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah. What an exciting day then. It is. <laughs> this is it amazing. Is. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So now, you guys are based in Atlanta, so you're seeing this kind of fruit and this progress, this work take place for now a decade, which is incredible, um, right there in the city. Now, now, do you have other homes in other places, and what's your vision for kind of expansion, or do other cities even have need of this, I guess is a great question. Yeah, so... Central Georgia, which Mm. is about an hour and a half from Atlanta, came to us and said, hey, we're seeing prostitution and trafficking in our community. Mm -hmm. So we empowered them to start replicating some of our outreaches in their community to utilize our same hotline. So they might do a rescue and bring them up to our home in Atlanta. That's kind of spread throughout the state of Georgia, Mm -hmm. out to the coast and down to the Florida border. Um, But then a team came to us from... Columbus, Ohio, and said, God's given us a vision for emergency housing for women. And we onboarded them as what we call a chapter. Mm -hmm. And then they just opened their safe home about a year ago. And so they, that dream has been realized for them too. And there, so now that was our second emergency safe home. And Mm -hmm. part of the vision of the past year that God's shown us is the things that we've been testing and piloting for five years with middle Georgia and Mm -hmm. Columbus, Ohio, it's time to take to a broader scale now and really look at the places around the country that could use an emergency housing model. That's amazing. What it's just a, a principle of the kingdom is that the kingdom is ever expanding. Mm. That's what I think is like, why not here? Why not now? Why not us in this generation? So we are 100% behind you guys. Okay. We're going to take a quick break uh, and then we're going to come back and have some more questions. Okay, Jeff, um, I think a lot of people are wondering this probably. What does a typical day in your work look like? Yeah, it's funny to hear the word typical. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know that typical really exists. So the nature of Mm. crisis intervention is you might have a rescue at lunch. Mm. You might have someone come in at 2 a.m., And then there's always the initiating the process of like, okay, let's go through your stuff, make sure there's no contraband, anything dangerous, any, and, and they're part of that process. Mm -hmm. We inventory everything. Um, we get their consent signed Mm -hmm. off on things we throw away and things that we lock up for them until they move to their next phase. Cause obviously with 
emergency safe home, uh, safety is huge. Yeah. Making sure there's no tracking, there's no communicating with outside parties other than people who've been approved and vetted. Yeah, wow, And so all of that's ongoing. And what we realized is we can't have activities or curriculum that build on each other because Mm -hmm. that is contingent on when you come in. So we just have things that repeat in cycles. Mm. So we do weekly themes. Okay. Uh, It might be strength, identity, Mm. love. And then through the week, any classes or teaching or outside speakers Mm -hmm. are going to theme on that issue. And you can come in at any point Mm -hmm. and and have it be valuable for you. Amazing. Um, With that too, we, when someone first comes in, we really want to give them space to rest. They might need to sleep till noon the next day. We eventually want to move them into somewhat of a schedule. Cause again, mm-hmm. we're trying to set them up for success mm-hmm. at the next phase. So they're, mm-hmm. part of that is transitioning and preparing for what that next phase is going to look like. Sure. Um, we have case managers who will mm-hmm. talk about goals, medical needs, dental needs, psychological needs, um, do a, an assessment with them mm-hmm. up front so we can ascertain which programs to offer mm-hmm. as a next step. And yeah, then it's just a lot of individualized care. Um, whether it's probation that mm. needs to be handled or there's a court date coming up or there are kids who are in state custody and we want to start having that conversation, yeah. um, charting a course to reconciliation and wow. dealing with criminal histories and mm. how far did you get in your education. So it's it's really getting as mm-hmm. much of a clear sense of that individual, mm-hmm. their needs and their goals so that we can help them chart a course for their life. That's amazing. So you're really looking at the person holistically, I would say, and looking at kind of her spectrum of needs and trying to begin to address those. Now, so it sounds like people, you know, women are coming in, they could be there for 24 hours or they could be there for three weeks. And so that's why you need to kind of keep the thing, the, the programming a little more loose, right? right? And a little more flexible. Um, so how many staff does it take to run something like that 24 hours, seven days a week? Yeah. So for us, and again, some of it is dependent on how many residents you're trying to serve at one sure. time too. So we're in the six to eight range right okay. now. So we have two case managers. Mm-hmm. We have someone we call a care coordinator that kind of oversees the programming throughout the week. Okay. We have a part-time counselor. And this is important too. We don't start the therapeutic process because it's a long-term process that mm. we can't see through to the end. So Mm -hmm. it's just crisis, emergency coping mechanisms, just tools to Mm -hmm. cope and function until you can start into Mm -hmm. long-term therapy. Um, and then we have overnight staff, Mm -hmm. um, typically two or three per night, depending on the need and the number of residents. And then weekend staff, um, we have coaches. We're we're kind of revamping our model right now. So, okay, fair, fair. <laughs> um, what what we're trying to do is make sure, even for overnight folks that have sleeping accommodations, mm-hmm. that no one's ever in the house for more than forty hours in a week. Yeah. Even if some of that is sleeping time, just for because we're seeing the impact it has. Mm-hmm. This is frontline work takes a toll yes. on the individuals, and we're always learning how to care for people better. And we're very much still on that journey mm-hmm. and having those conversations with our mm-hmm. team to understand them better, how it impacts their life and what they need. Yeah. So I, that's so good that you kind of made that, you alluded to the impact that it actually takes on the people who are doing the frontline work. So, you know, as an executive director, I'm a little bit removed from, and I imagine you might be mm-hmm. too. And so um, I'm even seeing with our team the necessity of taking things like secondary trauma and vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue and burnout like much more seriously than I have in the past um, because we're seeing the signs of it in our team, right? And so you want to, the principles of the kingdom are you don't 
you don't use people to accomplish a mission. You don't run people into the ground to accomplish this kingdom work. You have to care for both your, your client and for your staff. And I think we're all in a journey of learning how to do that and do that well, you know? Yeah. And one, I mean, even for me personally, something I had to learn because when, when the Lord won my heart, mm. I was very much feeling like, okay, he wants relationship with me and that, and that wooed me into relationship with him. But then I ran out to the field and I was like, okay, now I just need to labor for God. He he brought me in his kingdom and now he wants me to be an instrument to bring Mm. others into his kingdom. And and you lose that sense of, no, he's as actively and passionately pursuing a relationship with me now more than he wants to use me. He Mm. will use me. I can partner with him, but it's easy as leaders to view people that way too, that, Mm. okay, you know the Lord now, get to work, yeah. right? But <laughs> get out he there. still wants their heart. Like yeah. he's still pursuing intimacy with them and he's entrusted them to us. Mm. And that's a heavy, weighty responsibility to have. Yeah. And so how do we help our team members build resiliency and mm-hmm. strength, but also acknowledge the very real ways mm-hmm. that they need space and care and time to be refreshed and mm-hmm. rest and and find a balance of the two. Like we're in a, in the 24-hour crisis care setting, we closing is a big deal. Yeah. Like yeah. pausing the home is a big deal because mm-hmm. it means we don't have somewhere to bring a rescue in that moment. We have to find other options. And right. so we we always take that decision with that weight as well. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. if we just keep that house going and keep it full all the time and run everybody into the ground, right. we're not going to provide quality care anyway. No, so. you're not. No, you're not. And even Jesus like pulled back. I think there is a very real, it's almost like a fear that if you mm. if you pause, if you stop, you are going to let those people down, right? Because, But then we have to return to the realization that like, well, wait a minute, isn't Christ mm. the healer? Isn't Christ the redeemer, the restorer, the rescuer, and not me? So, and he's in that business 24-7, right? So, but it is a very, you have to take it with a measure of like, there's a balance, there's a tension there, right? You still have a responsibility to do the work that you've been called to. So I, I can, re- I resonate with the challenge, right? Um, okay, so that was one kind of challenge. I'm sure there are so many that could keep us here probably all day. What would you say some of the other challenges that you guys face really in this work that people may or may not know about? I think, and uniquely as a Christian community, mm. our understanding of mental health. And I think it's a constant process of you know, understanding this unique way that God's created us where there's a spiritual element to everything, Mm. but there's physical and physiological aspects of things too. Like we don't, when someone breaks their leg, we don't say it's a spiritual issue. Like there's a spiritual component Mm -hmm. for sure. But understanding, I think historically that the brain is actually a part of the body too, and it suffers illness Mm. and issues. And how do we not neglect the spiritual Mm. and go fully swing to just the neurological and the therapeutic and the modalities, but not only treat everything as purely spiritual Mm. and not recognize the ways that God created the body and has taught us about the body Mm -hmm. so we can respond to that appropriately too. And Mm -hmm. so I think learning how to hold those things together and then finding quality mental health services are so expensive Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of them out there. And I'm, and I think we're seeing that all over the country. And so how do we see a greater development of affordable quality mental health services to help people on this journey with that component of their healing process? 
Mm. I imagine that the cost of care for you guys is really high because you are having to deal with the mental health, the actually the physical, the medical, the dental, the, all of those needs and food, clothing, shelter, staffing, all of those things. And I'm not to be too get in the weeds, but I'm sure your insurance costs are really high. Oh, yeah. So all of those things, right? So the cost of care, um, I, I just always go back to that story of the Samaritan man who discovered or, or came upon the gentleman who had been beaten mm-hmm. and wounded and stuff. And it's, I think it's so interesting because the Samaritan man, yes, he went to the side of the road, he, he picked him up, but what he did is he actually paid for the man to be cared for. And I think that's an amazing story because it, he, he didn't actually do the work himself. I'm getting really off, off topic, but, um, but you know, so you guys are doing, you know, the hands-on, but then there's people who are funding the work and you guys are kind of doing it together. So what you guys have going on in Atlanta is, and is just incredible. I'm pretty in awe of what y'all are doing. So I'm really glad to have you here. Um, okay. So last question really, um, how do you see the pipeline of care for you know victims of trafficking um, needing to be maybe improved in the future, some gaps that need to be filled in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're all constantly grappling with this. And I'm starting to view it, I think, more as a locational question. Like in some places, the pipeline looks fairly comprehensive. Mm. And in some places, there's some really key elements being met, but others that are not. And I think... I think what God is doing across the United States right now is bringing people together that they allows each one to stay in their lane mm-hmm. and offer more of that pipeline mm-hmm. altogether, mm-hmm. like really needing each other and needing the different parts of the body instead of any of us going, I can do the whole thing. I can do outreach, hotline, emergency safe housing, long-term care, transitional care, right? Uh, it's not meant to be that no. way. And so as we all kind of come together and say, okay, where can we move together to bring mm-hmm. the different, God has uniquely given each one of us strategies and vision. And when we can bring those pieces together and stay in those places, because it's, I mean, our hearts are drawn to need. So whenever mm-hmm. we see something new, we want to start a new program. Mm-hmm. But what if God's already given somebody the vision of how to address that need? Let's partner with them. Mm-hmm. And then let's go to the body of Christ, the the capital C church, the Mm -hmm. local church assemblies and tell them, Hey, there's five of us ministries that have figured out a way to do it together. Yes. And wherever you fall on the spectrum, whatever your heart's Mm -hmm. drawn to, someone's doing it and we're doing it together. And as such, we're able to meet all of the needs in a gospel centered way. And I just, I think that's the way this work is going. I love that so much. There is a we're seeing that even in Houston where there's, especially the faith-based organizations are, are kind of filling those gaps. And then for me, I'm like, well, let's just bring this to the church, right? I mean, we haven't done that on a mega scale yet, but whatever your heart, and you said it so perfectly, whatever your heart is motivated in, like wherever the call of God is leading you as an individual or you as a church, jump in that lane, mm-hmm. you know, give everything to it. And so we can do this work, but we can do it together and then we fill the gaps, right? So, okay, let me back up though, because I said it was the last question. I have another. Um, there, I, we, we kind of, uh, I think it's lingo when we say like, oh, there's a pipeline of care. Mm-hmm. So can you explain exactly what we mean by saying, oh, there's a pipeline? Yeah, I think, and if I miss it, just re-ask me the question, but I think it's really understanding to effectively serve exploited individuals what are all the boxes that need to be checked Mm -hmm. to make sure Mm -hmm. all the opportunities are being afforded. And I Mm -hmm. think that's 
going to the streets, going to the motels, going to the strip clubs, going in the jails, having a 24-hour hotline, having teams that will go out and pick someone up Mm -hmm. when they call from crisis and bring them to a safe environment, Mm -hmm. having 24-hour safe homes Mm -hmm. or options, Mm -hmm. having long-term care, which can be 12 to 18 months of therapy, education, Mm -hmm. life skills, job skills, relationship skills, having transitional care Mm -hmm. that increases independence Mm -hmm. as And what we believe for transitional care is really helping people. We don't want people to rely on us ministries for their entire lives, right? right. And so helping them find those local congregations, those local church Mm -hmm. communities that can say, hey, we want to wrap ourselves around you now Mm -hmm. as you're transitioning away from Elijah Rising or out of darkness or whoever, Mm -hmm. become a part of this local fellowship Mm -hmm. and we'll care for one another and we'll grow together and we'll disciple each other, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding that that person doesn't just need to receive anymore. They have something to give to. Right, absolutely. And they're, they're going to be a blessing to the body of Christ mm-hmm. and to that local church and to their job. They're, they have incredible strength, absolutely. incredible resiliency and perspective yes. and giftings and talents. And so, um, and then, you know, all the way down to what does it look like for those people willing to mentor and disciple mm-hmm. and even adopt adult survivors yes. into their families absolutely. and say, hey, come stay with us, have Thanksgiving, have yes, Christmas. We yes. want to be at your graduation. We want to teach you how to drive. We're, you know, doing those things that mm-hmm. they may be lacked because they never had the family unit to, to show it to them. So I think yeah. that to me, that's the pipeline kind of from beginning to end. I think that's such a perfect way. As you were talking, I was thinking family. Mm. Family is the answer from a woman coming, a, kind of graduating from our program. Where's There's a gap between when she's just fully you know, living in her calling and her identity and being a mother or whatever, there's still needs there and there will be continue to be needs for the rest of her life, just like there is with any of us. And Absolutely. so I think integration into a family unit, and we really see that happening through the church. So I am 100% on board with that. So, okay, we've talked about several things, but, you know, as our listeners are, are, are listening to you, do you think there's anything else that they really, that you'd like them to know that we haven't touched on yet about specifically about the work that you do? I think you've covered it well. (laughs) You know, something that's just been stirring in my heart as we talk that has been kind of delivered as a challenge to our team that I just want to share with anybody who might be grappling with this is understanding calling and assignment Mm. and going back to understanding, like when we talked about using people or that God just gets us into relationship and then puts us to work, Mm. our lifetime calling is relationship with him. It's like okay. from the day we know him till the day we go to be with mm-hmm. him, that never changes. That is our calling on this earth as human beings. The assignments may change. Mm-hmm. We, I, I have an assignment right now to anti-trafficking ministry. That's not my foremost calling. My foremost calling is to walk in intimacy with him. And so mm-hmm. to anybody who might be contemplating that or in a place where Whatever you're doing, you may not even be part of the anti-trafficking work, but whatever you're doing has started to become your identity to remember that your ultimate calling is just intimacy with him and everything else is an assignment. And it might be permanent, it might be temporary, but it's not your identity. It's not who you're called to be. That's so good. I uh, I wish I had the actual quote, but I just <laughs> just read something on Instagram of all things. Of um, you know, Instagram's <laughs> like preaching to me, and it said something to the effect of, you know what? Like we're all trying our, we're learning. We're in this journey of learning how to care for people, right? You already said that. Like 
we don't know everything. We're not even the experts. We're, we're just taking like one step at a time, you know, and doing the best we can. And so when things, you know, maybe crumble or, you know, didn't work out, or there's a sense of failure here or there, or maybe we, or we're tweaking or whatever, we're doing things, but that is not a, a, um, an allegation of who you are, right? Like that, you are still beloved, accepted, whole, all of those things, right? So your identity can't be wrapped up in the services that we provide or, which I think we do this subconsciously sometimes, the success of the people that we serve, right? So they're not our metrics, you know? They're not the the gauge of our, our success or our identity or our value. So I think that's the more that you can, you're preaching that to your staff, the more that you can ingrain that in your culture, and we need to do that here as well. Just I think the more whole and wholesome your team will be as they move forward. So good. I, I, the great irony that occurred to me was that we tell survivors what you've done or what's been done to you is not who you are, but then we live and model a lifestyle of what we do is who we are. That's right. <laughs> right? That's so, right. So we're detached from the very thing that we're trying to help them grasp onto, and we need to we need to grasp that for ourselves, Absolutely. that what I do is not who I am. Yeah. yeah. Or how much we do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. So we, <laughs> we could go off on that, I think. Um, it's been such a joy to have you here today. Um, it's, it's really an honor. I'm, I'm super excited for the work that you guys are doing and however we can collaborate, however we can back you. You know, Is there anything that either Elijah Rising or even our listeners as they're watching or listening to this, can, how can they support you right now? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I would say, and you can cut this if you want to, <laughs> is stay tuned because I didn't just come here for the podcast. Um, Indeed. We, if you want to join us in prayer that if God is bringing an emergency safe home mm. solution to the Houston, Texas area that he would give wisdom to that process. Yeah. And if that's, who knows, you might have listeners who they've already been stirring for that and they've been waiting yeah. going, God, what's my outlet for this? This yeah. might be their outlet. So um, I think, yeah, praying, coming to you, if mm-hmm. they feel called to this, reaching out. Yeah. Um, and cause I firmly believe if God is doing this here, which I think he is, that he has prepared a people mm. with this in their hearts that are going to step up and rise to the challenge of yeah. making it a reality. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> we are praying about bringing emergencies. To- and the beauty of that is that it wouldn't just serve Elijah Rising. Mm-hmm. It would actually serve the whole region, which is so phenomenal. So, uh, again, thank you so much for ha- you know for being here for uh, just sharing your heart with us today. It's really been an honor, Jeff, and I hope you're back on the podcast soon. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for all that you guys do. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org/donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.